That was good, wasn't it? Thank you, Lord, for that. Hey, uh, let's put the Apostles' Creed up. Everybody know what the Apostles' Creed is? I was reading it this morning. Let's get up and do the Apostles' Creed. Some people may not know what it is, uh, but it's good. Well, what it? <clears throat> this has been around at least since 400 A.D. Okay, that was the first time that there's any written thing about this thing called the Apostles' Creed. And a lot of people believe that each of the twelve apostles did one of these. You know, nobody can prove that, obviously, but that's that's what they believe about it. I can imagine them doing it. Okay, I can imagine. I can imagine which apostle did which one. But I wanted us just to do it. This is something that's done around the world probably every Sunday in traditional churches. Um, We don't tend to do it that much, but I think there's such power. A creed, obviously, is a belief, is you're declaring something. When we say things that we really believe, there's power on them. So let's do this together. I'll get Becky to lead us in it because I'm not good at leading. Surprise. Y'all ready? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And by the way, the Catholic Church means the church universal. So, amen. (laughs) Yeah, I used to wonder about that Catholic Church thing. It's not the Roman Catholic Church. It means the church across time since the day of Pentecost and across the nations. It's what the, yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking this morning, somebody should do like 12 messages on each one of those. Like start out with the first one and keep it up there, somebody. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was thinking anyways. Because they're all powered. Now, this, there's other things, obviously, that this doesn't cover, but this covers a lot, Right. Um, I wanted to make one other comment about that was important. Um, oh, this morning when we came in, the first song we sang is uh, You're Welcome in This Place. That was really good, wasn't it? Well, um, one of the things I was really feeling really strongly through the song was not us saying to the Lord, you're welcome here, but the Lord was saying, you're welcome and, you know, later we uh, talked, we sang about Jesus being exalted to the highest place, uh, glory in the highest. And that's where the Lord has invited each one of us into that place. To, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's a, a, a fact. But God wants to invite people to experience that, that that would become a, a reality in your life when you begin to believe that in a practical way, that you are seated with Christ at the highest place there is. Christ has been glorified to the highest place at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And each of us have been invited to sit with Him there and to partake of a fellowship with Him there. Isn't that powerful? And so, y'all didn't didn't act like that was powerful. Y'all said, yeah, uh, that's great. Thank you, Lord. I mean, next. (laughs) 
that's enough to really, if you really think about that, that the Lord, we're saying, Lord, come, and He said, no, you come. Yeah. We're saying, Lord, come and fill this place. No, you come and fill my spot. Yeah. You come and be with me. Yeah. You see, there's an invitation from the Lord, and the Lord wants to shift our thing and just us trying to get God to be with us. He wants us to be with Him. Okay, and if we're with Him, He's with us. But He's really calling us to really begin to practically experience being with Him. Amen, and that's really one of those on there. I mean, which one was it? I don't know. It was Jesus Christ. Uh, Oh, yeah, He was ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Isn't that awesome? Isn't the Lord good? And He has invited us to be with Him. And He wants us to experience that in our lives. And he wants us to be able to take that experience and give it to other people. Isn't that awesome? Anyways, I wanted to do one message on number eight. I love that they have, I believe in the Holy Ghost. See, those people knew some stuff. They knew about the Holy Ghost. They said they believed in the Holy Ghost. How many people believe in the Holy Ghost this morning? Now, not, that's just not saying there is a Holy Ghost. There's something more beyond it. I wanted to tell you about an experience I had with a universalist. Y'all know what a universalist is as a person? Well, this person was a very sweet person, and uh, she came to the church a few times because she loved, she just loved coming into the church. She told me, she, I love this here. I love how spirit is here. And I was thinking, how spirit is here? And she would talk to me about spirit. Well, universalists don't, basically their name is, they don't believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They believe God is God. They believe Jesus was a Son of God who followed spirit all the days of his life. That's what they really believe. So they don't really believe in the Trinity. They believe in, that's why they call them universalists, unit one. Uh, but I got to thinking how, you know, not only is that a, a that's a, a heresy towards Christ, it's also a heresy towards the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, the thing I thought about is, you know, we believe in the Holy Ghost. In, in your mind, you can think some stuff, right? But the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, he, he's not a phantom, Okay, he's not a ghost or a spirit like we would tend to think in the natural that a spirit is. Okay, and you know, Jesus said this, uh, this is amazing, 13 times in John 16, he referred to, to the Holy Spirit as a person. 13 times in one chapter. Now, John 16 is like a major chapter that Jesus, where Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, and he referred to him as a person over and over in that chapter, and so I, I, here's some thoughts I wrote down, you know, just thinking about that. The Holy Spirit is not just a blessing to be received. Okay, He is a blessing, but He's not just a blessing to be received. He's not just an experience. We love an experience in the Lord. We believe experiences are vital in the Lord, but the Holy Spirit is not just an experience to have. Uh, he's not just an influence. He's not just an influence for good or godliness in our life. That's not what He is. But He is a comforter who feels things. A comforter in itself is, a, is someone who feels something, senses things, feels people's hearts, feels, feels their sorrow, feels their pain. He's a teacher who educates people. He wants, he's very vitally concerned about teaching us things. He's also a guide who wants us to follow him. He's the creator, convictor, sealer, enabler, revealer. He's a builder. The Holy Spirit really is our life on this earth. He's the one who gives us the life of Christ. And, the, and one of the things that I feel about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is power, okay? He's, he's power. Anytime the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, when it really gets down and talks about talking about what He's doing, there's, 
is, there's, is power. And uh, the church has really um, not really done well with the power thing, I don't think, because, you know, we sort of have these extremes about it. We have the extreme of people, it's hype, it's not real. You know what I'm talking about? Nobody wants that. Everybody can see through that, right? You can see through all that. And a lot of people go along with it for a while hoping that it's real. Uh, and, but in the end, it turns out to be not so real. And who needs that, right? I'm not going to even waste a second trying going after something I, that I would hope is real. But then there's the other, other side of Christianity that has, you know, it's, it's a philosophical Christianity. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's, it's philosophy-driven. It's, it's, it's a lot of talk and, and a lot of good things said, but in the, at the end of the day, nothing is really said. At the end of the day, nothing is done. And, and it's really, to me, it's, it's, it's error, and it's leading us into greater error. So I see both of those paths that can really lead us into error. I'm, uh, if you, if you want to know, read Acts 17. I'm not going to read that. Paul was at, at uh, Athens, and he preached in this place called Mars Hill, and it was a place where there was a lot of uh, philosophical people who gathered and, and taught philosophy. And... You know, it was a very, very weak day for Paul in terms of God saving people, God healing people, God doing what he normally did with Paul. And, you know, we may rejoice in that day. Okay, in fact, there are churches who model themselves around that, which I think is like the most insane thing in the world uh, because the Paul left that place and went to Corinth and he said, I... I chose, he didn't come, I said, I'm not coming with excellency of speech. In fact, he said, you know, that didn't work. That didn't work talking to those people, you know, on their level. None of that worked. I come to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Okay, that's what he said. He just said, I'm, that, all that just doesn't. And see, I think, you know, in, in Paul's day, in every age of Christianity, we have those two extremes working against us. And God really wants us that. The believers, we, he really wants us to become acquainted with his power. He wants us to become acquainted with the Holy Spirit. And we have to get over these mindsets of the abuses and all the things that have turned us off about God's power. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? And so, because the Holy Spirit, he's about the power. I wanted to read this Luke 3, uh, 21 through 23. This is about Jesus when he was baptized in water. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. I want to encourage people in this room this morning, if you've never been baptized in water, uh, that's a mistake. Now, being baptized in water will not get you to heaven. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible teaches. But it does teach this. It teaches that Jesus was baptized in water. It, the Great Commission teaches us to baptize people in water. So, you, you know, it's for, it's for you, it's for us, it's for our growth, it's for, it's for our life. In some cultures, if a person's baptized into, into water, like a, a Muslim, if a Muslim person was baptized in, in, in water, becoming a believer, acknowledging he was a believer, they would be immediately disowned. Or a, a Jewish person, they would be disowned by their families. They wouldn't exist anymore. In fact, uh, someone was telling me about uh, people in uh, Latin cultures who were Catholics, and they became Christians and got baptized in water, and their houses were burned down over it. And so you see, baptism in water is something greater than we've made it. 
Okay, and so to me, it's not like, well, we can decide if we want to do that or not. No, it's something Jesus experienced that for us to see. Okay, if he did it, we should do it. I mean, I'm one of these people, if Jesus is doing something, I'm doing The only thing I don't do that Jesus did was I'm not dying on no cross. And the reason I'm not is because he died once for all for all men, right? So we don't have to do that. But everything else we get to do. Amen? Anyways, and while he prayed, the heaven was open. That's awesome, isn't it? You know, prayer really does cause an open heaven to come in your life. I mean, just prayer. Come on. How many people are praying regularly? I read this thing. I want to tell you this. I'm sorry. I'm off this. But I read this thing this week about what the best pastors. This guy did all this research on the best pastors in America. And you know what one of them was? I thought, that's ridiculous. Duh. That They have a set time every day where they pray. And I thought, you're kidding me. Like some of them don't. You know, you're a Christian and you don't spend time every day talking to the Lord. I mean... And a lot of people tell you they don't have time, but that's not really the truth. You have time for what you want to have time for. Now, that's the real truth. Okay? You do what you want to do if you can. So you, I want to encourage you about prayer. Prayer is awesome. Prayer is not legalism, not no bad. It's a great thing to talk to the Lord about your life and what's on your heart. And some of us love to pray scriptures. You know, when I read the scripture, if I'm reading and I come across a prayer in the scripture, I immediately start praying that prayer. I just sort of model it for me. And that's, there's so much power on those prayers. And I really want to encourage you to, to pray if you, if you don't do that. And then, because God really does want us to live under open heaven. And prayer is one of the ways that enables that. And then the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon, upon him. That's awesome. I'm not kidding that. I could. And a voice came from heaven. See, all these things were happening through, in this encounter with the Lord, through baptism, and makes me want to go get baptized again. You know, hey, let's go get baptized. A voice is going to come, and you know, from heaven, and said, you're my beloved son, in whom, in you, I am well pleased. And that's the Father speaking to Jesus, giving him affirmation, given him identity of who he really was. And I have said this a million times. I'll say it one more time. If you and I don't have that experience where God the Father speaks our identity to us and affirms us, we will never have identity or affirmation. We'll seek it everywhere else in the world. Okay? And it's like pouring water into a bucket with a hole in it. It'll just keep pouring out on the ground. And the next day you'll start all over again because you'll never feel affirmed in your heart you'll never feel accepted you'll never feel loved you'll never really know who you're who you really are and only the father can tell you who you really are because he created you and he can speak to you and say this is who you are and he can call forth that person that he called you to be and you can begin to live the life that he called you to live instead of the fake life it's like one preacher used to say all Years ago, I heard him say, what if you got that, you baked God cherry pies all your life and you got to heaven? He said, I didn't like cherry pies. You were supposed to bake pecan pies. Well, we, because we sought after something to fulfill us and something we thought God wanted from us. But when you begin, begin to know who you really are, then you can walk in everything that God created you for. And it's a, it's a happier day. Well, I think if you don't have that this morning, we can pray for you and God will do that for you. He's done it for many people in this room. Now, Jesus himself, okay, began his ministry at about 30 years of age. 
That's the next verse. And then it goes on and talks about. So Jesus lived 30 years of his life on this earth, a very righteous, holy man. Okay? He walked in holiness. He walked in righteousness. But it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came upon him that Jesus began his ministry. In other words, this is the truth. Living a righteous and holy life will never fulfill God's purposes that he has for you. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. It didn't happen to Jesus until the Holy Spirit came on him. Now, that doesn't disregard the the absolute need of righteousness and holiness, but it does tell us this one thing. Righteousness and holiness alone will not get the job done. Now, that's what that tells you. And, And see, that's one of the problems with the church is there's this element of church that wants to talk about, you know, that's the main thing. Well, it's not the main thing. I just want to say that to you. Righteousness and holiness is not the main thing. Righteousness and holiness and power is the life that God's called us to live. That's the main thing. That's how God wants us to live our lives. If we're going to fulfill His purposes, if we're going to see that if the Father's business that Jesus said, I must be about my Father's business as a 12-year-old, and then for the next you know, 18 years he was in subjection, he was being apprenticed to do that. And when the Holy Spirit came on him, then he was enabled and empowered to do that. That's not dismissing the need for us to be righteous and holy. But that's been taken care of. Right? We are. We've been made righteous in Christ. We have that. I'm not dismissing that. I'm just saying that alone is not enough in in mine and your life. And you will be stumped spiritually if you are not walking in the power of God. If you don't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit working in life, you're going to be stumped spiritually. You're not going to grow spiritually. You're not going to grow in the fruits of the Spirit, much less the gifts of the Spirit. You're going to be immature as a Christian. Are y'all good? Anyways, let me read this Second Thessalonians 2.9. I'm pretty happy this morning, but I hope I'm not sounding any other way. Second, the coming of the lawless one, this is one little pluck out of Second Thessalonians. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Satan is at work. Even though he's been defeated, he's still working. He's a defeated, whipped old devil, but he's working. But the Satan has power. Paul calls him the prince of the power of air. Don't be fooled. The prince of the power of air. That means that there's power. Even though he's been disarmed, he has power. Right here it says, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So you see, in the realm of darkness, there's power. There's lying signs and wonders. Okay, so the church is so freaked out. I mean, oh, we, we can't be deceived. And it's just foolishness. That's not the way to keep from being deceived. The way to keep from being deceived is go, get so familiar with real power, the power of the Holy Spirit, with real signs and wonders. Right? That's what God wants from the church. So when the faults come... We can stand against it. There's a story in the Old Testament. Remember, uh, uh, Moses had this rod that the Lord showed him this little trick he could do with it and throw it down and it turned into a snake. You know, the Lord did that, right, in the Old Testament. And so the day came, there was a showdown between Moses and Aaron were there, between their rod, the rod of Moses, and the sorcerers and the, the bad guys of Pharaoh. And... Moses threw that rod. Well, actually, Aaron threw it down, if you read it. He threw that rod down, and it became a snake. Well, Pharaoh's sorcerers said, well, we can do the same thing. They threw their rods down, and it became snakes. 
So you see, they, they had some power going. They turned a piece of wood into a snake. But guess what happened? The Lord, Moses' rod, Aaron's rods ate their snakes. And you see, that's what God wants. That's a beautiful picture from the Old Testament of a power showdown that I'm telling you, the church is going to have to face one day. There's a power showdown. And our snake needs to eat their snake instead of their snake eating our snake. Is that, are you following me on this? One time years ago, I was down in Columbia, South Carolina. Anybody go to Columbia? Well, there was at the time, I don't know if there still is, a very concentrated area of palm readers and psychics and, Christ, you know, all that stuff. There was an area, it was like everywhere. Well, I was pretty interested in it because I grew up, when I grew up, I knew people who did that stuff. I knew them like on a personal level. And they're pretty much normal acting people except for their, they've tapped into the, to the demonic realm. And, uh, and so I was asking the Lord about all that down there, like, man, Lord, somebody needs to do something about this. And the Lord said, what about you? I said, I think so. I think the Lord's called me to invade darkness like that. And he said, but you need, to, you need to learn about the power of God before you go there because you're not ready to go and, and face that level of power that they're operating in. But there's going to come a day, you know, when, when God's going to call the church into these dark places. And, uh, you know, I don't want to go into those dark places unless God's called me there and equipped me to be there to demonstrate His power. Are you following what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you hear a lot of young people who, you know, want to be musicians. They want to go sing in clubs, but they're so tempted to drink and get drunk and stuff, they, sh they shouldn't do it. It doesn't mean in one point in their life down the road they maybe should do it, but they need to do it when God has equipped them and called them into those dark places so they won't go in there and just wind up doing what everybody, the people they're trying to reach and minister to. Does that make sense? Well, I believe that's what God wants us to do, is I believe there's a, the, the Antichrist spirit. See, I feel like that we, the enemy's clever. I think he's, he's got us so focused on the wrong thing, even things that he's doing that are minor things that are tricking us, and why there's this much greater diabolical scheme being worked against us, and we're focused on stuff that really, like, that's nothing. And so God wants to open our eyes to see that, that, you know, we need to become real familiar with His power. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to come and work in our life and, and empower us. And we begin to operate in the power of the Spirit. And when the negative, when the counterfeit comes that everybody's tricked about, you immediately know that's not the power of God. That's the power of Satan. You know, and then we stand up against it. And see, God's calling us to that. He's calling everybody in this room to that. Because everybody in this room is going to have to deal with that. With fact, we're already having to deal with it. We just don't know it yet. But it's going to become apparent. All right, let me read uh, Acts 2.38. Are you all okay? Yeah. It says, Then Peter said to them, Repent. This is awesome right here on the day of Pentecost. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, which means forgiveness, of sins. Isn't that awesome? And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what Peter was telling them on that day, there was two things that God wanted to do for them. There was two, two manifestations of God's power that he wanted to release. One was the forgiveness of sins, which has to do with the blood of Jesus. Okay, the other one is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which has to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's, those two are gifts that God has given the church. Okay, we have those gifts right now available to us. Um, 
And so I think, first of all, I wanted to talk a little bit about forgiveness. Maybe that's it, huh? Uh, because forgiveness is foundational, foundational to our lives. I think any uh, person who... Well, heck, doctors will tell you people are sick because they don't forgive. People or lives are destroyed because they have unforgiveness in their heart. And so if you and I are going to be healthy as people, we have to face the forgiveness issue. And there's not anybody in this room that has not facing it, either currently or have faced it. And it's really vital that we begin to tap into this gift that God has given us concerning forgiveness. Okay, because you are going to have to forgive people over and over and over in your life. Some of it is going to be really difficult to do. God is going to put people in your life at some point. If you're a blessed person, He is going to put some people in your life that are going to totally betray you and hurt you. And I mean wound you beyond measure. Okay, now if that happens to you, you have to know that you've been selected by God for something special. You have to know that. Okay? Because it's a temptation to become bitter in your life. It's a temptation to, to disenfranchise yourself from what God wants you to have in your life. Okay? It, it really is. It's a temptation to lose out in your life, to be stopped. Let me read this Isaiah 53, verse 5. It says, He was wounded for our transgressions. That's your sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's your sinful lifestyle. So the Lord, you know, that's what it, the chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. So what the Lord has done for us, you know, with the blood of Christ, is He has provided a way for us to have peace in our life. He really has. He's given us, He's made a way for peace to come to every believer. Now, peace biblically does not mean absence of conflict. Okay? That, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have conflict in your life. If God was going to take you out of conflict, He would have to take you to heaven. Because it's impossible to live in this world and there not be conflict around you. There not be storms around you. There not be difficulties around you. The peace that, that Christ has made available to us as a gift is inward peace. Okay? It's a peace on the inside. That's why salvation, you know, the word salvation is sozo. It means saved, healed, and delivered. That's what it really means. That's what God did for us. He, and that's, he saved our souls to go to heaven. Okay? And He, and he offers inward healing for all the things that we go through in our life, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the disappointments, all the death, all the failure, all the things that this fallen world is consumed by and is constantly hurling at us, and all what the tree of knowledge of good and evil that we continually feed ourselves upon, which is like feeding ourselves upon poison. You're, did you know you eat poison every day when you don't get your information from heaven, but you get it from here? You're getting it from the wrong tree. It's a poisonous tree that is slowly but surely poisoning you and destroying you. And that's the truth. When you don't get something from God, you're getting something that's just killing you. But it's little by little. It's like, you know, you've heard these stories of these women that kill their husband by feeding them rat poison. Have y'all heard about that? They murder them and they die over a period of time 
Because every day they slip a little rat poison in their food, just a little bit, a little bit every day so nobody can ever detect it. And eventually it kills the poor guy, and he was a millionaire, and the woman got all the money. And then she marries another millionaire. And then after a couple years, that poor guy dies of some unknown disease. And this woman's multi-multi-millionaire because she's killed all these men with rat poison. It has really happened. They've, there's, you know, police evidence of this. I think they're finding out stuff now because science has gotten a little smarter with how to detect things. But that's what the tree of knowledge of good and evil does to us little by little. It's like eating rat, a little, little, little couple pieces of rat poison every day. And, and it's killing us. And so... What the blood does, the blood offers wholeness. It offers wholeness to you and I. It offers wholeness to our inward, inward person. And, and it also offers deliverance from demons. Um, I'm going to tell you something. Everybody says a demon can't be in a Christian, but I don't think that's really true because I've seen Christians, I've seen demons come out of Christians. Now, I think those demons were not in their spirit. I think they were in their soul, the realm of their soul. Okay? That's just what I think. I'm telling you, I have. You can say what you want to, but there's people who's been delivered from demons in this church. They had demons. They said, something came out of me. That's what they said. I felt something come out of me. I know that's kind of hard on somebody, but I don't care. (laughs) You know, if you was a person who had some kind of demonic oppression working in your life, well, what does the Bible teach about strongholds? They're in our mind. They're in our mind. Demonic strongholds. That's a clear word from the Scripture, right? That's just that's like saying the demon's in your mind. Now, I know maybe that's not too, too far-fetched. That, that helps you a little bit, right? That kind of bridges you with the demons. But the blood of Christ can help us. See, God wants to get you free inside, okay? And to live a life of wholeness, okay? You don't have to stay the way you are. And you don't have to live a life of bitterness. Okay? You really don't. And a lot of, and there's doorways how we get messed up. And one of them, there's like four doorways, main ones, right? Somebody help me. One of them is drugs and alcohol abuse. That's a doorway for demons to get into your life. Number two is the, the witchcraft, right? Sorcery, right? That's another major doorway. Number three, what's number three, Tim? Fear. Wow, fear's another big doorway. If you were a person who got fear on you, Marlon was addressing that anxiety. That was the Lord. That's a way for the enemy to get in your life. And the other one is unforgiveness, right? Unforgiveness. And so you can, this is what, I would just tell you how to counsel anybody. You can pretty much be 80 to 90% sure if they're all messed up, it's they got one of those things happening in their life. It's easy. The sexual stuff. Yeah, the sexual stuff. I didn't say that. But yeah, the set, you know, fornication, adultery, and all that really. Well, let me just say it like this, okay? Just say it. When a man and a woman come together, like, you know what I'm talking about? If that one of them has a demon in their life, guess who else gets to share in that demon? The person that they hooked up with. That's, the Bible's clear on that. It says they become one. And so you better watch out about who you're doing that with. Because if they got demons, you're liable to walk out the door with a demon. I'm just telling you the truth. It's the truth. 
It's the truth. I mean, there's people in here that would testify that I didn't have a demon and I went out and messed with this girl and now I got a demon. <laughs> I'm telling you. And they got free from it, David. The Lord will get you free. Some of y'all, I might be messing with your minds a little bit, but I, it's okay. Okay? But, but I want to tell you about this forgiveness thing. Okay? Because I know about forgiveness. And most of us really do. I know what it's like to have to forgive somebody I can't forgive. I know what it's like to have to forgive somebody I really would like to hurt, okay? I mean, hurt bad. I have, been, I have walked in a place where I have fooled myself into believing that I had forgiven people. But it was, I was only fooling myself. I was only deceiving myself. I convinced myself I had forgiven them because I said I'd forgiven them. Uh, and... So one day I was in that state with a certain person, and this had been going on not for not for a week, not for a month, but over over the 365 day realm into the two time, 365 times two, a couple of years, and I had convinced myself I had forgiven them, but but I knew if I would have gotten 100 percent honest with myself, I really hadn't, because I was miserable on the inside. And a friend of mine called me one day, and he was having, we were just chit-chatting. And he said something about the person that I had convinced myself that I had forgiven, how they had mentioned how they had wronged me, and they had never come to me and told me and asked me for forgiveness. And when the, he said that, I literally exploded at this poor guy on the phone. I mean, I, I could see my face was red even talking to him. And I was yelling. I was out on the porch. You know, he never told me he forgave me. And as I was blurting out all this bitterness and anger, the Lord spoke to me and says, you have not forgiven him. You have not forgiven him. And this is the scripture he gave me. It was Matthew 18, 35. 35. At the end of a long story, he says, my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you, listen to this, from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. From his heart, forgive. And I thought, Lord, I can't do it. That was the greatest words I ever gave God on that situation. I just can't forgive him. And you know what the Lord said to me? Yes, you can. You can forgive him. I said, how? He says, have I forgiven you, Byron? I said, yes. He said, then you got forgiveness in you, son. You take some of what I've given you and you give it to that man right now. And I'm going to tell you something. This verse that I just read used to terrorize me. Because I think, I can forgive somebody in my, my little deceptive mind, but in my heart, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't really forgive them. But now, it liberates me. Because in my heart, I've been forgiven. God has forgiven me. I know I'm forgiven. I have an assurance from heaven that my sins are forgiven. I have an assurance from heaven that I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm not sitting right here worrying, am I going to make it to heaven? Even when I do something bad, I don't sit there and think I'm not going to make it to heaven. I just think, man, that was terrible. <laughs> I need to get, get this straightened out pretty quick here. You know, <laughs> before somebody straightens it out for me, I'd rather straighten it out myself. You know, it's like, you know, when you're a kid, you do something wrong. You don't, you want to fix it yourself, not let your parents have to fix it, right? 
That's what I tell my kids. Do it right. If I don't fix it, the police will fix it. <laughs> That's what I used to tell them when they were little. You're going to grow up in the police if you don't learn how to obey. Take, the police are going to get you and put you in jail. That's what happens to people who go to jail. They don't learn how to obey when they're kids. My kids never bought that. They never would hear that from me. They just wouldn't listen to me on that. Anybody got any kids, you talk to them about it. Like now, this is what I used to say to Philip in particular, since he's not here. Philip, I'm just telling you right now, tell me why you did what you did. Because if you don't tell me why, you're going to be in big trouble with me. But if you'll tell me why, I'll let you off the hook. And he'd sit there like, I don't know. That's what he would say to me. I don't know what he mean. I would go through that whole story with him over and over. It's like I could never get him to tell me why he would do bad things. And finally I said, Philip, you know why you did bad things? Because you're like everybody else in the world. You were born to do bad things. Because you were born in the flesh. And you need the Lord to help you. In the meantime, I'm going to help you. You're on restriction. Anyways, back to forgiveness. I was a, this is amazing that day. This is really amazing. I made a decision in my heart. In my heart, I realized I can forgive this person. And I did. And I went to my mailbox. And this is back in the day of cassette tapes. Remember those days? Some of you do. Some of you old people. You know, tape of the month. And I got a tape in the mail from R.T. Kendall, who's a great man I love dearly, a great Bible teacher. And the name of the tape was Total Forgiveness. On that very moment, that very day, 15 minutes I had that explosion. And, and I listened to this great word from R.T. Kendall about total forgiveness. And I realized the whole view of forgiveness in my life. But the thing that really was so good to me, because there's a lot about forgiveness that I don't really have to have, was, is that I know I can forgive today. You can wound me, you can hurt me, I can forgive you because I have forgiveness working in me because God forgave me. I'm forgiven. I have an assurance. And I, so I can give that to you. Okay, I can give you what I've been given. Just like when the Bible says love your neighbors as yourself, the only way you can do that, the only way you want to do that is knowing that you've been loved by God. Okay, otherwise, most, a lot of people hate themselves. So they're going to love your neighbor yourself? Let me kill them. <laughs> that's, the way, that's the way I used to feel. But I can forgive my neighbors as I have forgiven myself. Now, I do want to say this. I think on the forgiveness thing, it's hard to forgive yourself, okay, about things. Really, does anybody know what I'm talking about? I've learned in my life, if somebody messes up, I'm not even talking about a sin, but they make some mistakes as long as they don't affect me. <laughs> I'm just going to be true with you. I look at that person and I have a lot of grace and mercy for them. Like, it's going to be okay. God will restore you. God will fix that. God will be your rear guard. If you'll just get real with God, He will fix all that for you. But with myself, I've discovered I'm really hard on myself. Okay, I'm extremely hard on myself when I mess up. When I do something that's... I'm not talking about just a little... I'm, not, I'm talking about things that really... You know what I'm saying? There's some things you mess up that you pay a price on. Okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying this is reality. There's some things you do in life you will pay big on. It, it's going to hurt you, okay, down the road. And you're sitting there, Lord, I, this is killing me. And I deserve this. And I acknowledge my part in causing this to happen. I have a really hard time 
you know, with myself, forgiving myself, letting myself off the hook. And I feel like a lot of people are like that. I don't think I'm the only person like that. I feel like, you know, when we mess up in life or if we, we fall, we fall into sin or we do some ridiculous thing, you know, we have to say, if the blood of Jesus is good enough for the Lord, if it's good enough for God, it's got to be good enough for me. It really does. It has to be. And that's what I've told people. Listen, because I heard, I had a lady come to me and she had committed adultery. Okay? And so I was doing what you do. Listen, you, you got to forgive this man you committed adultery with. Because she, you know, he did, you know, he initiated and she fell into a block. You know, it was bad. Right? And she was saying, Byron, I have forgiven that man. I've totally forgiven him. He ain't the problem. I said, well, who's the problem? I'm the problem. I just can't forgive myself. And it crushed me when she said that. Because I realized the pain she was in in her heart is that she could not forgive herself for allowing herself to get involved in this thing. Although she could forgive the guy. And I told her, listen, that's what I told her. You know, the blood of Jesus is good enough for God the Father. It's even good enough for the devil. The devil's scared of it. And how come it can't be? It has to be good enough for you. You have to accept it. And we've, we've had other people. We had a woman one time that when she was a child, she was sexually abused by her uncle or cousin, right? Uncle. And so, you know, she grew up and she, it messed her life up. I mean, she became a prostitute or drug addict and God saved her. And But she came and said, and she was struggling, you know, with her life, and we were talking to her, and she told us all these stories, and so we were saying, okay, now we need to help you forgive the uncle. And it was the same thing. I have forgiven him. You know who I don't forgive, though? It wasn't herself in this case. It was her parents. I can't forgive. My parents, they knew this was happening, and they wouldn't do anything. They wouldn't intervene and stop this man from doing this to me when I was a 12-year-old little girl, and it destroyed my life. A lot of people are like that with God the Father. I know a lot of people that are angry with the Lord because they said they say to God, God, why didn't you stop this? Or why didn't you do this? You could have done something about this. You have the power to stop this, but you let it happen. And they're angry with God. They don't forgive God in the sense like God's to be blamed. I think we probably all have done that at times. At least I have. I mean, I've blamed God. I've blamed myself. I've blamed other people. But I've found out that there's this power in forgiveness. And that's where wholeness begins in our life. It begins there, I believe. Because there is the beginning of a whole life. It's when God forgives us. When He forgives us of our sins then we can begin to live a whole life. But we are faced with all these calamities. We are faced with forgiveness ourselves. We're faced for forgiving ourselves. We're faced forgiving God, quote, forgiving God. You know, we're faced with forgiving the person who over and over and over wrongs you. You know, you know we're all faced with all that all the time. But, you know, I just believe that there's power in the blood of Jesus. And I believe that, this is what I was saying earlier, I feel like 
the church in America. I, I've been asking the Lord, how can I get out of the church in America? I, I want out of the church in America. I don't like American Christianity. I can't stand it. It, it, it's, it irritates me. I read the American Christianity stuff and it drives me nuts. I'm repelled by it. And you know what the Lord told me? This is how you get out of that. You get it out of you. Because this is just as much as in you as anybody else out there that you're having such a difficult time with. And so I realize there's things in me. When I say American Christianity, I'm talking about I, won't, I don't want to be... I want to be in the Christianity of the Scripture. I want to be in the kingdom. I want what that says, what that describes. Not what culture says. Not what philosophy says. Not what man says. Not what's the cool thing or the latest fad. That's not what I'm going for. And, and I realize I've been influenced by all of that. And I've allowed that to get into my heart and get into my thinking. And how distorted that has distorted me. And where God is saying, you get out of it by letting me take that out of you. Let Get that out of you. And when I get that out of you, you can look at that, perspective, that in a right perspective. Because I would tend to get critical. I would read articles and be critical of the person who wrote it because I feel like that is so wrong what they're saying. How dare them to say that? And the Lord could say, that's so wrong what you're saying, Byron. How dare you to say that? But the blood of Jesus is able to do something for us. Are you Okay. That God wants us to get back to this gift that He's given us. The gift of forgiveness. The gift of the power of the blood. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mm. All broken up. Anyways, um, so I won't. I believe that if we will allow the Lord, okay, something simple, if we allow His blood to work in our life, if we will begin to, to ask the Lord, you know, about our own hearts, have we forgiven people that need to be forgiven? Uh, Donna mentioned something when she was sharing her testimony last Sunday about the abortion she had. She mentioned a dream uh, <clears throat> that Robin McMillan had about in heaven all these children praying for their, all these aborted children, these children who were aborted on earth that were praying for their parents, praying for the person who aborted them, uh, people who had been murdered, praying for the person who murdered them. Because in heaven there's no such thing as holding a grudge. There's no such thing as, as not forgiveness. None of that exists in heaven. None of it. None of it. It's like, God, have mercy on them. Save them. I mean, interceding in heaven for these people on earth that have done these terrible things. That's amazing. That's an amazing thing. It's something that we, we when we pray, Lord, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth is... We think about a lot of great miracles and stuff, which I think we should, but I think that's something we should think about. That there's no animosity, there's no grudges, there's no hatred, there's no bitterness towards ourselves or towards anybody, towards God, towards our brothers and sisters. You know, forgiving someone doesn't mean you have to stay. Uh, that was something the Lord taught me. It's like, Byron, a lot of people don't want to forgive because 
they feel like they're going to have to stay in that situation with that person and keep getting wounded and keep getting hurt by them. But you don't have to. There's a difference between reconciliation and forgiveness. God demands forgiveness. He absolutely requires it, but He does not require us to be reconciled to people. He doesn't require it. That is not a requirement from heaven. Okay? So we're free to walk away from relationships or, 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 or have boundaries and distance in those relationships that are harmful to us. Okay? In other words, I'm going to love you from afar. But I'm not going to let you into my personal life where you're going to tear me apart and, and I'm going to have to go through this whole forgiveness deal again because of the new things. And see, I, that, was, that was a freedom to me. But you see, God would like to have reconciliation. He would love for everybody to be able to get along, but, it, but that's going to be a miracle. Right? It's going to be a miracle. Anyways, uh, that's probably all I should be saying today, huh? And so, yeah, Becky says, this is all, I'm done. That's right. I'm done when she says I'm done. I want, sure. Uh-huh, yeah, that's correct. What he said was forgiveness is, is not saying, well, what they did was okay. In other words, somebody could hurt you terribly and you forgive them, but you're not saying you were right in what you did. It was okay what you did. Oh, no, it's not. In fact, this is what forgiveness does. Forgiveness does this. Think about a hook and a fish caught on a hook. It takes that person that you have on your hook that you're jerking around, and God goes and pulls out your little hook out of their mouth, but he sticks his hook in their mouth. Okay? Then they're on God's hook. It's between them and God. You're out of it. It's between, you know, God can deal with them. That's God's job. That ain't your job. Okay? And then you're free. You can live a life of freedom. You can live a life of joy. You can live a life of peace. That's what Jesus said. That's what he said, the peace. God wants you to have peace. If you don't have peace, God wants you to have peace on the inside. He offers peace. And you know what the Bible says? It says this in Romans 15, that the God of peace will crush Satan where? Under what? Your foot. You see, when you begin to walk in peace, okay, inward peace, then you can deal with situations out here. Jesus didn't get up in that boat that night when they were about to die in that storm and start having some theological, philosophical discussion with the storm. Uh, He didn't begin to talk about weather patterns. No, he got up and he said something to that storm. And why was he able to get up and say something? Because there was peace inside of him. And you see, when we get this forgiveness thing going, then that same peace that was in Christ, that's when our words can begin to speak to our situations. That's when our words can begin to speak to our storms. That's when our words can begin to speak to our finances. And that's when our words can even begin to speak to those closest to us and bring the peace on them that they need. Isn't that powerful though? And see, that's the way God designed it. There is a lot of power in peace. There's a lot of power in peace. Amen? So let's just stand up. Sure. Hey, y'all. So I went to this conference. Not a conference. It was more like a workshop. Crazy Love Fest. I guess that's what we'll call it. Um, this past weekend in California, um, and it's so cool to see the you know the Holy Spirit working, because the same stuff we learn there, of course, is the same stuff that Byron's preaching about, and I just love that. But um, one of the things that we um, we talked about was that very thing of forgiving betrayal, 
and um, and there was a couple little um, like sequences that you go through. You know, betrayal that brings um, mistrust to people. It brings fear, and then isolation and sorrow. And what Marlon had talked uh, said this morning about that sadness. Um, if you feel like you know you're on a low grade fever of sadness through your life, it very well could be that you need to be forgiving um, those that you feel like have betrayed you. But it also goes if you feel like God's betrayed you. And that's something that I had to deal with this weekend. And I'm telling you what, it just is totally, it will totally set you free. And so I would just encourage you, if you feel like that you have been betrayed, you know, and that also that God has betrayed you, you know, don't be ashamed about that. But just, you know, ask the Lord, help me in this. Um, You know, and maybe even get with somebody today and just say, listen, this is where I'm at. You know, and confess that thing, and, um, you know, the Lord's really going to be faithful, and he'll bring that freedom. And, um, you know, one thing that that, um, betrayal does and that unforgiveness does, it blocks the love. And I'm telling you, it'll set you free, and then that flow is open again. And so let's go for it. (laughs) I just will call up the prayer team ministry, and I also was feeling like... um, you know, we do get affected physically uh, when we're holding things in unforgiveness. I've, I've had that to happen to me personally. When I was in a time of unforgiveness, for the first time in life, I got a bad palp smear back. And the Lord confirmed to me that it was through unforgiveness. I questioned, and then he confirmed it to me. He said, I just, you know, it's, it's not so much that God's mad at us and getting back at us that we just want to step into the law of the spirit and the way the law of the spirit works is through forgiveness that's what keeps us free and so and when we're not walking in that we get hindered and bound up the other thing too is the scripture says if we we speak to our mountains that we moved but then right behind that it says and if you have unforgiveness toward anyone go to them so we're seeing that there is a pattern between the power flowing and unforgiveness so we just want to invite you to the Lord. Is, I really have felt when Byron was this started coming about the unforgiveness, just the Holy Spirit dropping in the room. So I feel like there is some things we could deal with this morning. And so the prayer team ministry is here, and um, you know we. And I just believe this as believers, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, and that the more freedom we're walking in. That's really what this is about is freedom. Freedom. We're singing freedom song. Come get your freedom. Come get it. You're, 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 we're, we're already have it. It's just releasing into it. So, amen. So, we love you guys. And um, go in the freedom of Christ by the blood. The blood is our answer every time. There's just such power in the blood of Jesus. And that's really what we want to this morning is just get that blood applied fresh again this morning as we pray for you guys. And go in peace. Go in freedom. Go by the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name, be released. Come on up for prayer. Uh, people here are waiting. Amen.